You're listening to the Creative Outsiders Podcast, where we show women that it's possible to live their filmmaking dreams through empowerment and professional development. We feature guests who provide resources, tips, and life experiences to help you grow as a filmmaker. And I'm your host, Siobhan Adrian. Let's get into it. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Season 2, Episode 16 of the Creative Outsiders Podcast. And today, my guest is Mina B. Um, I like to tell people before we get started why I decided to pick the person that I wanted to sit down and talk to. And I feel like Mina is the sister friend on social media that you don't necessarily get to see all the time, but her words are so encouraging. I say that they provide light. And she definitely, in a kind way, gathers your edges so that you can go out and live your best life. And if you don't follow her on Instagram, I so encourage you to do that because her words always hit me at the right moment, like, okay, Siobhan, this is what you needed. You can press forward. So I just thought that it was really important for our creatives, our filmmakers that are listening, to have a chance to um, connect with her because I do recognize that we put our mental health and maintenance on the background. And for those who don't know who Mina B is, I am going to tell you a little bit about her. She is the author of the book, Rivers Are Coming, and is a licensed psychotherapist, mental health consultant, small business owner, and founder of the digital magazine, Respect Your Struggle. She was born and raised in Queens, New York, graduated with her bachelor's degree in business administration, and later received her master's of social work degree from New York University. Nina's experience as a social worker consists of providing individual, group, and family therapy to a culturally diverse population of all ages with complex mental health issues. Being committed to mental health is not only a professional choice for Nina, but it applies to her practice of self-care, learning the importance of knowing how to advocate for yourself and being educated on systems and interventions that can bring forth healing. Mina's goal is to offer hope to those whose stories have, to those whose stories have been erased and their voice made silent. She compels her audience to reflect and think in ways that empowers them, and she is a motivator for change and an advocator for healing. When Mina is not writing for her website or working as a consultant doing psychotherapy, she is a freelance writer for the Huffington Post and Conscious Magazine. She is also running her all-natural skincare shop Sunday morning. And before we um, get into talking to her, I just want to let you know that the information on this podcast is intended to be educational but isn't a substitute for connecting with a licensed mental health professional. So, everybody, I hope you enjoy, and welcome, Mina. Hi. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on our show. I'm really excited um, to have you. And I think it's uh, interesting when you get to listen back at your professional um, bio. So, Mm -hmm. in your own words, tell us who Mina B. is. I am an author, a social worker, and a creative. I've lumped the three together. Um, Writing has always been a huge passion of mine, 
And last year in 2016, I released my book, Rivers Are Coming, as you had mentioned. Um, And I always wanted to make sure that I infused all of my practices as a writer and author and just being a creative. And even with being a social worker, I never really looked at my profession as a social worker as something that was not in the creative field. Um, I always just grouped it all together just because I feel like Creativity just brings so much healing that, to me, therapy is is a form of creative arts in itself. So that's just who I am, like, in a nutshell. I'm a writer. I'm really passionate about writing. I'm currently writing my second book, which will be fiction. And when I'm not doing that, I'm helping other people write their stories through therapy. And that's so interesting that you said that. I'm so glad, one, that I typed down my questions. I already know I'm about to ask you. (laughs) But that's so interesting that you say that because I'm running across so many more people because my undergrad is actually in um, counseling. And when you said that, I never thought about it that way. Like it's like for the arts or creative in its own aspect. But like when you said it, it's like, wait a minute. Yeah, it is. Right. Right. I just have – no, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. No, I was going to say I just find that there's an art to everything that we do, but I think that in our culture and our society that people – art, I guess, is so vague, but then again it can be very subjective. And so I feel like often I bump into people who will say to me, I don't I don't think I'm a creative or I don't think I'm into art. I wanna I wanna be an artist in some sort of way or I wanna know what I'm passionate about and I, I wanna be a creative but I don't think I have creativity and I believe that there's creativity in everything that you do, but there's this message out there in the world that has narrowed down what creativity looks like. So I think that there's times people get into fields not realizing that they do have the potential to to be that basically they can say they are creative or there is a form of art to what they're doing but I think because we live to the standard where sometimes when we go out in the world there's categories for everything that you do it's like oh well my work doesn't fit under creative art so maybe I'm not a creative person and I really Mm -hmm. don't think that's true I think there's art in everything that we do especially when we're passionate about it you're always going to infuse the arts in what you do and so that's why I never separated myself as a social worker from being a creative. And I always ask people, um, because of, well, I majority mm-hmm. interview specifically filmmakers, but this season I said I wanted to make sure that it was a lot more true to who I am and who I know creatives to be. But I always ask, like, what, who then gave you permission to be okay not to be in this box? Like, I am a social worker, psychotherapist, mm-hmm. and I am a creative. So, like, who gave you that permission to say, like, I don't have to be in that box? Right. And I think oh, – I'm sorry. Did I cut you off? No, no, no. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, I I think that's, like, a really big question because – that all goes back to the power of owning who you are. And I'm often having conversations with people where it's like, well, you know, therapy is so different from being a creative and therapy is this and therapy is that, like just all these different aspects of what people feel like therapy might be or what it's considered. And it's like, well, I have like the power to write my own story 
And through navigating my work and through navigating my um, career path, it's like I'm the one who has the power to say really how I classify myself and the work that I do. And I understand that I'm often going to come across people who disagree with me, but as long as I stay true to who I am and I'm firm in my beliefs, then that is what gives me my power to say, like, no, like, this is the box that I fit in. And I don't believe that just, you know, I believe that me being a social worker is also me being a creative, and I think that the two blend very well together, and I think often sometimes people forget that they do have the power to narrate their own story, regardless of the other boxes that society tries to place us in. And do you think that happens because we are so hung up on what people say about us? Yes, I truly, truly believe (laughs) that is a huge part. Um, And I think that comes from, like, not only do you get that from the world, I can speak for myself, like, and I I know this for myself, but then even stories I hear from other people, you even get it from your family. So it's not, I feel like sometimes it's not even this distant thing that when I go out to school, my teachers are telling me who I need to be, or my professors are telling me who I need to be. Sometimes you come home and your parents are like, I'm not paying for you to go to to college and (laughs) be a fashion designer and throw your life away doing things that, you know, aren't guaranteed a job. Like, sometimes you're it's your, even your own family who's not supporting you and not supporting your decision. And I know I can speak for myself. I come from immigrant parents. So when I went to undergrad, I have my bachelor's in business, but my my goal at the time actually was to go in the field of fashion. And that was like a big disappointment for mm-hmm. my parents because it's just like that was not their idea of success. That wasn't their idea of what a lucrative career looks like. It seems very stagnant and unstable. Um, and I think often people are concerned about how people are going to see them. And so, therefore, they just sit in their comfort zones or they sit in the comfort zones of other people and they say, you know what, this is the life that I'm going to live because they don't know how to deal with the judgments that other people project onto them. And I knew that that wasn't something that I wanted for myself. Like I did not want to say I'm doing this because I want to please this person. I always knew that I want to be doing something to please myself. And I think a lot of the time people don't have that um, inner strength to do that. So then how do we get that inner strength? Because uh, if you are solely a creative, like sometimes what you do is very isolating. And then you present it to, you know, your family, your friends, and you're excited, and they're like, okay, but when are you going to get a real job? So how do you then, uh, I guess, develop that inner strength or fortitude to be okay with, like, this is who I am? So I like that you use the word develop because I always like to tell people whenever I like share my own personal stories, like this was a practice because I think a lot of the time people are looking for quick fix tips and they're like, well, how can I learn how to do this? But they want to wake up and have it done by the next day. And Mm -hmm. it's like it took me years to find comfort 
in who I was as a creative because, like I said, I had to answer to so many people who objected to a lot of the things that I believed in or my career path or just how I see the world in general, and these were close people at times. Um, and so I know for me when I was younger, one of the one thing that really, really helped me was I used to go to therapy myself for my own mental health issues. And through going to therapy, I've learned how to affirm who I am. And I think that is the greatest key to all of this because I often tell people that you are the foundation and you are everything else that comes along that. It's like if the foundation is not steady, if the foundation is not firm, everything else will crumble. And so if you are not firm in who you are, then it's easy for you to be influenced by other people. And in order to be firm in who you are, you need to affirm yourself. You need to, to sit down with yourself and pick out all the things that you love about yourself, but you also have to do the hard part and pick out all the things that you dislike about yourself and work on those things. Because I think as being human, there are going to be some traits that we have that we're like, this makes me so uncomfortable. I don't like this, this thing that I, I don't like this particular part of myself, but are you mm -hmm. just going to say, I don't like it and continue to not like it and never do anything to fix it? Or are you going to work on those parts of yourself? And I feel like often people don't know how to reflect on the parts of themselves that they feel like probably does need to change. Um, and I find that what really is helpful in that process is really just understanding, like, listen, we're all human. We're all imperfect, and there are certain things that we have that based off, like, at least for me, I know based off trauma and based off a lot of things I was dealing with, there were a lot of things in my life that I needed to really sit down with someone, which is why I went to therapy, and say, like, I'm very angry. I'm a very, very angry person, and I need you to help me with this because me being angry, I'm projecting that onto people, and it's messing, it's messing up relationships, but then it's also messing up how I carry myself. Like, I'm a very angry person, and that was a true statement. That was how I was feeling before, and that was a a state of mind that I didn't like about myself and I was able to sit with that and say you know what I need to work on that and therefore as I learned how to affirm the things I loved about myself and work on the things that I disliked and then affirm that I still was valuable um, mm -hmm. even in my brokenness then that helped me affirm who I was as a person in general. And then once I knew who I was as a person in general and how much I loved myself but then also knowing that hey, I'm imperfect, but I'm still worthy of grace, I'm still worthy of being loved, I'm still enough, I'm still capable, then once other people came in my life and started having opinions, it was just like, well, I have the final say. I have the final right. say because I am the foundation, and all those other things are going to come along. However, as long as I am firm in who I am, I can't crumble regardless of what other people say to me. And so I feel like it requires a lot of inner work, and I always want people to know that that inner work, building, developing that, like you said, the word develop, that does not happen overnight. It took me years being in therapy, journaling out my thoughts, and, so, and, and learning how to create boundaries, realizing people and feel sitting around, you know, just to, it helped me gather this process of really how to be firm with who I was so that I wasn't letting the thoughts and opinions of others stick to me. And I think that's so, I think that, well, 
So you said, um, well, we both said developing, and I think what happens is people will start to do the work, and then they'll stop because mm-hmm. I can even say that for myself, um, and I laugh because uh, when we were talking before we got on air, I mentioned that my undergrad is counseling, and I remember when I really realized, like, I needed to go to therapy, and I had my um, best friend laughing because, I didn't want to go. I said, but I'm up here, like, providing these services to families, but I don't want to go and Mm -hmm. go to therapy because then it was, like, this whole stigma. And I'm like, I go through this whole rundown with everybody else, like, don't, you know, like, it's okay if you need help. But then it was, like, when I needed needed the help and I needed to do the work, I was so consumed about, like, if I go into the office, are there going to be people there that know me? And I'm like, girl, if they're there, they need help too. Right. <laughs> right. So I had to, like, really get over that. But that made me, because um, I did get a little ahead of myself talking because you were giving some good words. But <laughs> for people who don't know, break down what is um, a psychotherapist? Like, what does that mean? A psychotherapist is really somebody who is there to guide you on life in general. Um, I feel like people have this idea that a psychotherapist and the, the idea of therapy in itself is someone who is there to tell you what to do, how mm-hmm. to live, to give you advice, to tell you what to change. And that's not necessarily true. Like, it's important when you're in therapy, the client is doing the work. And the therapist is there to guide you and to help bring the work out of you. And I think a lot of the time that's why there's such a a huge stigma um, around therapy because people have these misperceptions around, like, what it is. And when it comes to being a psychotherapist, there are a broad amount of people. Um, I feel like it's like a very big name, but it's very, there's different distinct types of social workers. And so you have people who only do CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy. And that's really this idea that our behaviors are linked to um, how we think. So a lot of people, for example, who struggle with anxiety might go see someone who is trained in CBT because anxiety really is all about the mind and when how our minds work really affects how we behave. And so that's what CBT is all about, where I do psychoanalytical therapy, which really covers a broad range of a client's life from birth to adulthood to where they are in the moment, where CBT is very here and now oriented. Um, And so it's really all about affecting, I mean, it's about addressing the behavior and the thought in the moment, where if you sit down with me, I'm going to address the behavior and the thought in the moment, and I'm also going to talk about your childhood. I'm going to talk about everything that happened to you that could also be leading up to this moment. And there's, you know, you have licensed marriage, marriage and family therapists, you know, people who are trained in eating disorders. So there's just like, I feel like the word psychotherapist really is just an umbrella for the different forms of therapy therapies that's out there. And I just Mm -hmm. think that a lot of people have this confusion that therapy really is somebody who's going to tell you what to do. And that's not the case at all. Um, And I don't know where the confusion came from. And I don't even know how that became a part of the stigma. But Mm -hmm. 
I think the first thing is to address, like, what a therapist is, and I think that people have that idea that if I go to, like, you know, and I, I think that's why it, people easily get caught up in, in this idea where, like, well, why can't I just talk to my girlfriends about my mm-hmm. issues? Why would I pay somebody to give me advice? And it's like, exactly. well, that's not what a therapist is there for. And then also remembering, too, like, a therapist's job is confidentiality, number one. And number two, we don't know you at all, right? So you're coming in mm-hmm. with this clean slate, and we're not there to judge you. We're there. We're trained to sit down with people who come to us with crazy stories and a bunch of different issues that a lot of the time people feel like they're friends and their families might judge them for whatever it is that they're struggling with, where that's the whole point. Like the whole point is for us to sit with you in your struggle. Um, We want to hear the struggle. We want to be with you in the struggle. We're not going to judge you for the struggle. We want to help you get through the struggle. And I think somewhere over time, like the lines got blurred and for some reason people began to hear the word psychotherapist and just assumed doctor or just assume that someone, you know, an advice giver or things like that, and that's not really what it is. Well, I'm glad that you cleared that up so y'all know now. (laughs) Um, And I think even when you were talking, I thought about, too, you know, like where did we get this stigma, and it made me think just as our our responsibility as filmmakers um, and creatives, I think that we continue to – I guess showcase the stigma because most people get their um, perception of therapy or therapist from TV or from movies. And a lot of times I've had people come like, okay, so when you went to your therapist, were you laying on the sofa? I was like, no, I'm sitting in the chair (laughs) talking to her. Right. (laughs) And I think that we just have to do better as creative and even people who utilize therapy of doing a better job of just like breaking the stigma, even in basic of like you said you're going to be writing a book or you're in the process of writing a book. And it's like if I write a book and there's someone who is utilizing therapy, I'm not going to depict it in the wrong way. So it's like reinforcing this is how it is versus the stigma. Right. Right. I agree. Um, while you were uh, talking and just thinking about women and how much success we are having as creatives, as filmmakers, and then we are still um, friends, we're still moms, we're still sisters. Um, like today I was fussing about my brother. I know he's not going to listen to this, but I can say that. <laughs> I was fussing <laughs> about my brother. Um and we have girlfriends that we listen to, we, we carry all of these different things. And then we're so expected, like, to come home and, like, the house be clean or there's no dishes in the sink. And we have, like, I call it the superwoman syndrome mm-hmm. where we take care of everyone else but ourselves. And what can we do for women, like, who, like, we suffer with this, like, we take on this, and especially if we are an entrepreneur, we just keep going. Like, you will see everywhere, and I'm not shading anybody, but you'll see everywhere, like, hustle hard. You can sleep tomorrow. And it's like this, we keep reinforcing, like, team no sleep, uh, take care of everybody else. Oh, don't worry about it. I got it. So what are things that we can do to, like, prevent 
ourselves from operating as superwoman um, because I see it so much. Right. Right. I definitely agree. And I know that I once had like that superwoman syndrome where I thought I had to do everything, especially when I was in grad school, I was trying to juggle so many things. And then I reached my breaking point. And I think, unfortunately, that's when women do recognize that we can't do too much when they hit their breaking point. And I think it's important to catch yourself before you hit that breaking point. And for me, like one of the things that I truly, truly cherish and value is self-care. And I feel like lately in our society, like self-care has become like this really, really vague term that's really intertwined with consumerism and capitalism where it's like self-care is all about, you know, you go out and you do your nails and you go out and do your hair, your hair and you book a spa day and you spend all, all this money. And I think that's also why a lot of women are um, feeling like they have to be superwoman and feeling like they can't take time for themselves because a lot of people have been taught that self-care looks black and white. It looks this one way. And so I think a lot of women who are busy, who have a lot of expectations, who have a lot of um, responsibilities when it's time to take care of themselves, it's like, well, I don't have money to get my hair done. I don't have money to do my nails. So therefore, you know, clearly I can't take care of myself. So maybe I should just take on all these other responsibilities and that will help keep me be, keep me busy. And I think that the first thing we have to do is really rewire what self-care really is all about. And it's really all about your spiritual well-being, your emotional well-being, your physical well-being. And it's really all about true intimacy with your with yourself, and it's about introspection. Um, and so I feel like I if I'm not able to sit down with myself and learn how to be aware with how I'm feeling and learn how to be aware about what I'm giving myself as well as putting out, then I feel like that that is what leads me to burnout. And I think sometimes we're just going and going and going that we forget to sit with ourselves. And I feel like self-care is just a really, really important piece in knowing that when you can't get to the dishes, that's still okay, rather than this language where, oh, my God, I didn't do the dishes, I'm a horrible person, like, I'm stupid, I did this, like, this negative self-talk. I feel like that often happens with the superwoman complex because it's like if we don't get this done by this certain date or this time, it's like this, this, we add these negative attributes to who we are, and it's like, no, we're human. Sometimes mm-hmm. things don't get done, and guess what? The world does not fall apart. Like, we we can be resilient even in our brokenness. And so sometimes I think it's about checking in. I think often we don't it, – I find it to be very important to check in with ourselves daily. And I think there's times where people don't even check in with themselves until, like, it's, like, once a week. Like, maybe the weekend comes and they're finally like, okay, let me self-reflect. And it's mm-hmm. like, no, you should be self-reflecting every single day. Day. Because I think when we self-reflect every day, we realize, like, you know what, I have time to do this project tomorrow, so why am I forcing myself 
to stay up till one o'clock in the morning to get this done when I have extra hours tomorrow and I can slip that in the schedule or I don't have to come home and rush and, and wash the dishes. Like that can wait a little while while I relax and I rejuvenate and then I can do that. Or sometimes there's things in my life that I shouldn't be saying yes to all the time. And I think sometimes that superwoman complex comes from us feeling like we have to always be givers, not realizing that we're allowed to say no. Um, And I think that all is a part of self-care, recognizing when we need to put boundaries and also recognizing when we also need to show ourselves grace and say, you know what, I can't get this done right now. I'm still worthy. I'm still enough. I'm still good at what I'm doing. This is not a reflection of my character. This just shows me I'm tired. And I really Mm -hmm. shouldn't force myself to do something when I know I'm super tired. And that's okay. And I think that Again, when I talked about things that we have to practice and develop because it doesn't happen overnight, I feel like that's a huge part of it. I feel like it's about redefining what self-care is and realizing, like, you know, it's okay in certain moments to not um, always be put together because we're not perfect. And I think we have to understand that imperfect people make imperfect decisions at times or we make Mm -hmm. imperfect Sometimes we make mistakes because we're imperfect, and I think we just have to really self-reflect and realize, like, what are the things in my life that I have to do so that I am practicing a greater form of self-care and realizing that me playing superwoman, if that is leading me to burn out and that's leading me to have anxiety, then clearly there's something about the choices that I'm making that's attributing to that. And I feel like sometimes we have to be accountable and take ownership because I think, too, it gets easy to blame other people for all the responsibilities we have without recognizing that we have the power to say no to certain things. But then we also have the power to realize our circumstances and say, you know what, I can actually do this tomorrow or this can actually mm-hmm. wait. And if I, even if it, even if I'm late or if I'm behind on something or whatever, I need to show myself grace in that moment. I can't, I should not be beating myself up for missing a deadline or things like that. Of course, you know, for something consequences come, but you're still in a perfect person who's worthy of grace. And I think when we start to show ourselves grace, we begin to slow down at life because we realize that we don't have to have all that pressure. And I feel like pressure is what causes people to often carry so many burdens and live frantic lives because it's like this idea that we have to be doing everything. And I think sometimes when we take inventory of the things that we carry, we'll realize that there are actually a lot of things that we're carrying on our backs that we should have let go a long time ago. Um, But without that self-awareness and without that self-care, it's hard to pinpoint what that is because you'll just be going and going and going. And it's like, when have you had time to be intimate with yourself? And if you're not intimate with yourself, then how are you growing as a person? Um, because the two are linked. And so I think that's really just like a first step to undermining that whole super superwoman mentality. Absolutely. You're you're out there saving lives right now. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and I think when you said too about we don't say no and that um brings me up to a thought I thought about today. Because we are creatives, and we do post our things on um, social media, mm-hmm. and then social media is its own pressure in itself. So now I'm on social media, 
and I'm posting my work, and then instead of just posting, now I'm scrolling, because that's what we do, scrolling, 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 scrolling. And then we see what the next person is doing, who may be in our same industry. So then we start to compare. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, I'm comparing. And I even had someone, um, a friend of mine that's a filmmaker, she uh, put her project in a film festival, and she's like, nobody reached out to me about it yet. And she just put it in there. And she's like, um, nobody likes my baby, because, I mean, that's how we talk about our projects. Nobody likes my baby. And she's like, everybody else is getting um, attention for their babies. And it's like, okay, now we have shifted into we're comparing. And I think that then pushes us to feel like we always have to say yes to things because mm-hmm. we see other people winning, even though we don't know, like, their background. But in their mind, all we see is win, 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 win. Right. So then how do we get out of that hole of comparison? Because I promise you, all of my girlfriends, whether – they are in the film industry or if they're a business owner, like we all compare. So like right. how how do we stop doing that? Because I mean you're gonna go on social media. Of course you'll try to cut back, but like what can you do to get out of that rut of feeling like you have to compare and then I have to like continue to strive to keep up with the next person. Right. It's interesting because I saw a post on social media today, actually, that said, like, that person's person's social media account that you envy so much, unfollow them immediately. Um, And I thought it was interesting because I do think a lot of people follow people because they either want to be like them or they want what they want. Um, And I do think a lot of the time disconnecting from social media can bring a lot of peace. So even if the first step is unfollowing the person, that could be major for some people because I think Mm -hmm. there, I mean, there are some people who just sit there and scroll and they have the person's alerts on and they want to see what they're doing. Mm -hmm. How can they change themselves to be like that? And it's like very, very unhealthy. Um, And so I feel like I I see a lot of truth in that too. Like, you know, if you're, if that is a feeling where it's just so overwhelming maybe you do need to unfollow that person. But I do think to take it a step further, it's like taking taking note of why and what is causing your own insecurity. Um, because I think that, like you said, like everyone has their own backstory. Like social media really is just a picture on our phones and we mm-hmm. see people, so we see these glorious things, but we don't know the hard work that it took for them to get there. Like there's times that I follow people on social media who they're living thriving lives now, but the backstory is it took them maybe 10 years to get to where they are. It took mm-hmm. struggling. It took so it took billions and thousands of rejection letters and all these things, but we don't see that. We just see the the prize. We see the end goal. And I think that's that's a lot of people's mindset, especially in a creative industry. I think the reason why we're so susceptible to it is because we're putting out our own hard work. It's not like mm-hmm. we're working for agencies where work is passed down to us and we're told, do this, do that. Like, no, we're passionate about the things we do and things we're doing, and often we're giving birth to it. Like, it's really like giving, like you said, you call your projects your baby. It's really like giving birth to a child just for someone mm-hmm. to tell you that your child isn't perfect. Um, 
And so often I feel like a lot of the time it's like going back to that firm foundation and recognizing who you are and your value, but then also reminding yourself that you're not that person and everybody's journey is different. And I know that it takes time to get to that, but I feel like one of the, at least for me, because this has, I've, I've even experienced those things before too, and I always have to remind myself that's who she is and I who I am. And my mm-hmm. blessings are going to look different from her blessings. And just because she's being blessed doesn't mean I'm not being blessed because I often think, too, that when we spend so much time either envying or being jealous, we're in a way not being really grateful for the opportunities that we've been given. Um, and we're also taking away from we're spending so much of our time and energy being devoted to either envying or just looking at somebody else's success that we're not realizing how can we invest in our own success and how can we invest in our own creative ventures. I feel like a lot of the time those things really are just huge distractions and they take away from the greater from a greater purpose. And so I often tell people to find ways to disconnect, but then also do a lot of more self reflecting and think and ask yourself like, why are you comparing yourself? Like what do you feel like you're lacking that that mm-hmm. other person has? And I think often people begin to realize like, well I don't have this and I don't have this and I don't have this and it's like, but you're looking at the material. You don't know if that person you don't even know this person. So if you're all you know is you're following her on social media and you see the work that she's putting out, you don't know what her insecurities are. You don't know what work she had to get get to where she is. You just see a final product. And I think often we get so caught up in final products and, like you said, we get caught up in winning that often, too, we forget that sometimes failures can also be a blessing. Um, And also realizing, too, that every opportunity that comes your way is not for you. Every door that opens is not meant for you to walk in. And I think that idea, like you said, of sometimes we feel like we have to say yes because we see other people thriving, we can we consider it thriving. Um, mm-hmm. And so when opportunities come and say, oh, I got to jump on this and I got to jump on that, not realizing sometimes that actually we should self-reflect and realize, well, that door, like, you know, that opportunity has nothing to do with my creative, my creative venture right now. So why am I saying yes to that? Because I think mm-hmm. it's going to get me closer to the finish line. Like, no, you know, and so I think often we really have to reflect in moments. I think sometimes we even have to do other things that um, something as simple as, yeah, just disconnect from the person, unfollow the person, even block the account if you have to, if it's that deep-seated. But then also look inwardly and, and ask yourself those tough questions like, well, why am I so insecure about this situation? Like, why am I so caught up in this person's success and realizing that that's taking away from me appreciating the successes that I have, whether they're big or small. And I think that's what ends up happening that we think it's about, it's really all about how we define success too, because I Mm -hmm. think some people define success as if it's this big grand thing, or like if, if it's not lucrative or things like that, we're not successful. And so it's like, I think we often have to take a step back and number one, realize, who we are, 
We're all creative individually. We're all created differently. We all have, there's only one of us in this world, so therefore we cannot compare because we will never be that other person. So then you begin to realize how much energy you're wasting by doing that. But then I also think it's important to really look inwardly and think like, okay, are there some insecurities that I need to deal with? Because sometimes when we have insecurities, we realize that maybe because of these insecurities, we aren't giving our best work because Mm -hmm. we're so afraid of something. We're not putting out great material because we're scared someone might say no, so we're changing things or we're doing things, not realizing that you know, we have to get rid of those insecurities as creatives as well so that we can give our best work. Absolutely. I totally agree. Yeah. I, I'm going to be over here like, I have to make more time for myself. You are over right. here convicting me. <laughs> <laughs> you are over here convicting me because it is so easy to get, like, you'll do good, and everybody knows, like, I journal. Like, that's my thing. Like, I have to journal. But then I realized, like, I'll start getting busy, and then I'll be like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. And then mm-hmm. it's like, okay, I'll do it the next day. And then before I know it, it's like two weeks, but that I can tell that it's been two weeks because I'm like, I have all these thoughts, I have all these unresolved feelings, and it's like, because you haven't dumped in your journal. Like, you need to dump this off in your journal, process it, and keep it moving. Right. So, yes. Right. I definitely Definitely. I'm an advocate of journals. Like, if I could pass them out to everybody, I would. (laughs) I agree. It's a really, really great healing process. Yes, it is. I love it. Um, And before we wrap up, I do want to ask you specifically about depression. Um, I was talking to one of my friends about it, and I don't want to say that it's, it's not a good way to say that, but it's almost like this stigma that creatives, in order for you to be like this creative person, like most of us have suffered with depression. However, I am noticing like we do, well, a lot of people that I've run across have either battled with it or at least know somebody that has. Um, and especially because if you are working, let's say, not a typical nine-to-five or you are creative, you are by yourself a lot more. Mm-hmm. So. How one, tell us what are some symptoms of depression, and then how, as a community, can we support one another um, if we are dealing with depression? Okay. So to address symptoms of depression, I think it's important for people to realize, too, like, to be diagnosed with major depressive disorder, you only need to have about five of the eight to six, eight to nine symptoms within a two-week period, which is a very, very short time. Mm-hmm. Um, so often when people are struggling with depression, they'll have, like, a lack of energy. So you'll see they might not want to get out of bed out of morning, out of the morning, or it might be even harder for them to get out of bed. Either they struggle with insomnia or they're oversleeping. You might notice a changing in their eating habits. They might be under-eating or overeating. Um, you'll see some fatigue, a loss of energy, a loss, a major loss in pleasurable things. Um, even with depression, there's a loss of libido, so therefore sexually a lot of people do not have the same sexual pleasures that they used to have before. And then the number one symptom as well is if someone is having suicidal ideation, then they're most likely struggling with depression. 
Um, and like I said, you only need to experience a lot of those things within a two-week time frame. And so if you are someone who goes from working a nine-to-five to saying, you know what, I'm going to quit, and which I feel like is a lot of people's stories. I know that's my story, and a lot of people in the creative industry are like, I quit the nine-to-five, and I said, you know what, I'm going to pursue my passion. And you go from being in this big corporate setting or even this small setting with, like, 20 to 50 to even 100 coworkers to being by yourself, that's a huge shift. And isolation mm-hmm. is a huge part of depression as well. And so it's not like when you're creative, you're trying to isolate on purpose. But I think due to the fact that by nature, our bodies are wired and our brains are wired to be in community with people, that our bodies and our brains can feel that shift when it happens where when you go from working 40 hours a week and being around people to just being alone with your headphones in your ears, sitting at a coffee shop, doing your work, and you're not talking to anyone, you're not engaging, you're not laughing because all of those things also play a huge part in um, joy and happiness and things like that, um, the body really can feel the shift. And so I think it's important to recognize, and I think it's important to, like, when people have friends who are creatives as well, like, to recognize that how big of a shift that can be for someone when they're quitting a job and they're saying, I'm going to be a creative and I'm going to be an entrepreneur. Like, that's a really, really big deal. So I would say, like, that's the first thing. And I think it's really all about support. I feel like the number one thing is supporting each other as well as normalizing um, mental health as well as mental illness. I do also come across a lot of creatives who share even, like, the same exact story that I have, which is, which sometimes I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's a little creepy. Like, I know people <laughs> who have struggled with, like, literally to the T, a lot of the same exact issues that I had, and they're also creative. And I there's times where, like, I'm following people on Instagram that I really, really resonate with, and then they share their story one day, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's so crazy. That's probably why I resonate with you so much in the work you do, because now I know, like, a lot of your history and the things you experience. And um, I definitely do not believe that in order to be a creative, you have to have gone through depression or trauma or anything like that. I think what happens often is a lot of the time creatives are people who aren't introverts, and I believe a lot of the time creatives um, find the work that they do as outlets for the pain that Mm -hmm. they have experienced. And so I think that's why often people in the industry hear, um, you know, that this person is a creative and this person is doing this and do it. It was working on this project, and then you hear their backstory, and it's like some sort of trauma or mental illness, con- uh, mental condition that they have. But I often find that um, creativity is a is a is a form of therapy, which is why they have creative arts therapy as well. Um, And I believe that often that is how a lot of creatives heal themselves. So I think that's why there's such a huge link to the two. But I also feel like that actually gives us the room, in my opinion, to really talk about the importance of mental health. And I feel like it also gives us the room to not be ashamed of who we are and to Mm -hmm. not be silenced because I think when people are struggling with certain mental illnesses, they feel like they can't talk about it. And so I think that it's actually a great thing that there are a large group of people out there who are creatives, but yet they have these really, really raw 
um, painful experiences because I think it really helps to normalize what it is to be human. Um, And I think it helps to normalize that this is real, depression is real, anxiety is real, trauma is real, all these issues are real. However, I've been able to heal from it, and Mm -hmm. this is what I've done to heal from it. And so I feel like if we continue to have conversations about it, that can definitely open more doorways for people, number one, to find creative ways to heal from their pain, because I think that's a big part of the problem where people are going through pain, people are suffering, but they don't know how to heal from it. Um, and a lot of the time people don't want to go to therapy or they don't want to do these things, and so they don't know how to sit with their pain. And I think the more people in the creative field come out and say, like, this is what's happening, this is what's happening, it shows people that, wow, there's power in telling my story. There's power in joining a dance community. There's power in becoming a filmmaker. There's healing in becoming a writer. There's so many things that we can do to actually help with our own healing process. And so I think that's really um, a great way to have these conversations and continue to have these conversations so that people can know that they don't have to be alone in their suffering, but they also can know that there are tools and resources out there that's at their disposal that they can be utilizing to access healing, Um, whether they want to call themselves a creative or not, because you don't have to be pursuing it as a career to pick up a paintbrush and paint in your living room just for fun. Um, And so I think the more we have these conversations, it really helps people to realize, like, I don't have to live in the shame of what I'm dealing with, but then also having the conversation of, and educating people on what it looks like to have mental health and what it looks like to have depression can also help people within that as well and recognizing what it really is to to go from working in a corporate setting and doing a nine-to-five to just, like I said, being by yourself majority mm-hmm. of the time because we're supposed to be in community. Um, and I think that also teaches creatives to learn how to find balance because I do think it's helpful for creatives to find meetups that they can go to or different events that are happening where they can network so that they're not always just by themselves um, doing life alone. Because even with networking and going to meetups, then, then that opens doors to many other opportunities as well. But then that also helps you with fighting against any form of depression or anxiety that's coming that might be coming to them. And what would you tell someone who can't necessarily afford therapy? Uh, because you do have that lapse where, okay, I left my nine to five, and I, you mm-hmm. know, knew I was going to have a steady paycheck. To now, right. I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, so, what would you? What are some tips or suggestions for someone who can't necessarily afford therapy? So for someone who can afford therapy, there are a lot. Nowadays, there's, like, a lot of different platforms out there. Um, Like, Talkspace is a very, very affordable um, app where you can text a therapist, and I think even for as low as $20, um, because the average therapy session really goes from maybe $125 to $250. So a lot of creatives are not, cannot afford to go, and I've had experiences too where, like, creatives will tell me, like, I can't afford to see somebody and pay $200 for a Mm 45-minute session, and that's completely understandable. Um, A lot of the time, if creatives have independent insurance, you can call up your insurance provider and find out who accepts your insurance, and therefore you won't be paying anything out of pocket. Um, 
So that's another helpful thing too. There are a lot of other but you can actually still reach out to hotlines like the Suicide Prevention Hotline and National Alliance on Mental Illness and talk, and actually just have a free conversation with someone through text. Um, another outlet I would say would really to be like, find creative outlets out there that you can get yourself a part of. Because one of the things that I know, like whether it be trauma, whether it be anxiety, whether it be depression, isolation is a really big symptom for many, many mental illnesses. And so for many people who can't afford to go to therapy, I think that often people don't recognize that there are a lot of therapeutic things that they can do in their own space. Um, You know, working out is very important and you don't have to go to a gym to work out. So you don't have to have a gym membership. You can work out right there in your home. What you eat affects your body. And so being mindful of what you're putting in your body, if you feel like lately I've been fatigued, lately I'm struggling with getting out of bed and I don't find much pleasure in doing certain activities, like, well, what are you putting in your body? What are you consuming? What are you listening to? Like, what are some things, like, think about self-care. Um, and I think sometimes people fail to recognize that too, like what we eat can really affect our moods and how we feel. Seasonal affective disorder, which is seasonal depression, it's cold as ever right now in New York City, oh, right? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and at this time, because of daylight savings as well, it's dark by like 4.30, you know, and a lack of sunlight can actually trigger um, mood disorders like depression as well. And so I, I often tell people like, Around this time, try to create a budget. You know, if you have a bank account, take cash out because you live in a society where people love to swipe their cards. Instead of mixing up your money and looking at receipts, look at your bank account and say, you know what, for the week I'm going to take maybe $20 out or 10 whatever you can afford, and say this is my budget for the week and I'm going to go maybe to a coffee shop. What can I afford with this budget? Can I go to a coffee shop or can I go out to dinner? Set yourself up in advance because – the winter is a very, very long season, and so I think it's important for people to create lists and activities that they can do in advance so that when the winter comes, and it, it hasn't snowed yet here in New York, but I'm sure it's coming, and, you know, you don't want to use that as an excuse of, oh, no, I can't do anything because I don't know what to do with snowing and all these things are happening. So I always would recommend, too, like getting yourself prepared for the next season, getting yourself prepared, especially because it's the holidays. So how can you prepare yourself physically, spiritually, and emotionally for what's happening around you so that you're not stuck in a season of isolation? Absolutely. And I definitely, uh, my friends laugh at me, but I tell them I don't care because I'm very aware about this. I need sun. So in the winter, like, I, even if it's cold, I make sure during the day I go outside the office and I'm, like, trying to get the little bit of sun that's out there. But I had to realize that about myself. Like, I used to think, like, oh, no, you just like the beach. No, I need the sun. Like, the winter time, I have to boost myself. Like, okay, Siobhan, you can do this. (laughs) Don't just stay in the house. Right. It can really be hard. So I always like, I do it. I even do it for myself. Like, because I just don't like being cold. Like, I hate when it gets dark. And sometimes it getting dark early just throws off my schedule where I feel like, oh my gosh, it's so late. And I see it's only five (laughs) o'clock, you know? So I feel Mm -hmm. like between my schedule feeling thrown off, but then just being so cold, 
then sometimes it's easy to just get caught up. Well, I got I have heat in my house and I have Netflix, but if you're doing that every single day or every right. weekend, then that's when it's problematic. It's like, okay, like you're really not doing anything to like, you know, you're just sitting around. Like that's not really helpful. You're not feeding your spirit in any sort of way. You're not fellowshipping with other people. So there's always a line that should not be crossed. And so I always let people know, like, just prepare yourself in advance. Like, you know, it's getting cold outside. Also, the holidays are here, and some people struggle with the holidays. So what are some things that you can do that you know you enjoy, that you can afford, um, that you can prepare yourself for when that moment comes? So it's always about thinking in advance as well. Absolutely. And since you said Netflix, I always ask at the end, what are you watching right now and what are you reading right now? Okay. What I'm watching right now is The Office. (laughs) I'm (laughs) obsessed with The Office. I watch the – I actually don't have cable. Um, I don't either. I only watch – yeah, I'm not a huge TV person, so I only have Netflix and Amazon Prime, and I binge watch The Office over and over and over <laughs> again. There's times where, of course, I'll watch, like, the different Netflix shows, but since you're specifically asking me what I'm watching right now, before I called you, I paused The Office, <laughs> and then I called you. So that's what I'm watching right now. And the book I'm reading right now is called Big Little Lies. Um, it's okay. written by Leanne Mority. I think that's how you pronounce her last name. But um, Big Little Lies actually became a series on HBO. So you can actually watch the series on HBO. But I, I already watched the series, but I wanted to also read the book because the series was just so good that I needed to see how she wrote this book. So that's what I'm reading right now. Okay, I'm going to have to check that out. <laughs> I might binge watch it. It's a really, really great show. Yeah, I'm going to check that out. So tell everyone what's the next for Mina B, and then let us know how we can keep in touch with you, how we can support support you, and where we can check you out on social media. Yeah, so on social media, I am at Mina B. Um, M-I-N-A-A underscore B. You can catch me on Instagram. Right now I am in the process of writing my second book, but for those of you who want to catch my first book, Rivers Are Coming, written by Mina B. You can find my book on Amazon.com. You can also go to MinaB.com, and I'm also selling autographed copies from my personal website. So that's really what I'm up to right now. I just launched my um, – I revamped my small business. So right now on Sunday mornings, I'm selling all-natural apothecary. So I have perfume oils as well as um, fragrance sprays. So everything is natural, made of essential oils, because that also is how I promote wellness, by putting clean beauty products on my skin and things like that. But other than that, that's really what I'm up to. And again, my website is com, and you can order my book through there, and then also find my links to all of my social medias on com. And I have to say, I'm going on Sunday mornings when we get off our own okay. conversation <laughs> because I was like, wait, I have to go see and see if she updated it. But, yeah, I love it so bad. I'm such a junkie when it comes okay. to <laughs> it's ridiculous. But yeah, so I'm going to go. I'm going to stick to my budget, but I'm going to go look. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. 
You're welcome. And it was a pleasure talking to you now. I have a voice with all the wonderful words that you post on Instagram. Thank you. Very appreciative. And I hope that everyone listening that you gain something from our conversation and that you are able to apply it to your life because I want you to be amazing filmmakers, but I also want you to take care of yourself and maintain your mental wellness. So until next time, you know the routine. Don't just think about it. Go out there and live your filmmaking dreams.